Reading from the Grapevine, November 2022. More than music. I believe that many of us in AA owe our lives to some special person who went out of their way to help us get sober. For me, that person was my older sister. After seeing my alcoholic father and brother both commit suicide the fast way, she said I was doing it the slow way and simply would not give up on me. Unfortunately, my sister was battling brain cancer for a year. To help cheer her up, I threw a surprise 70th birthday party for her. Although I'm not a rich man by any means, I was able to rent a hall and have a respectable meal cater for about 40 people. On the guest list were some dear friends of hers from the Netherlands who were unable to attend. After the party was done, I decided to offer to accompany her to Europe so that she could see her friends in Europe one more time but I wasn't quite sure what I would do while she would be spending time alone with her friends. That's when I learned that my favorite musician was having a birthday concert where he would be visiting. I had never seen him play in person, but I had been listening to him for 36 years. Let me note that I experienced a real change when I became a recovered alcoholic. I seemed to develop a new skill at listening. I now listen intently and sincerely cared about what other people had to say. This new listening skill also included my renewed passion for music. I was especially enthralled with listening to my favorite musician and was very excited about this opportunity to f finally see him li live. When it came time to purchase airplane tickets, my sister decided not to go. I was not all happy about this. It's all about me, right? And by now, I really wanted to see this concert. I had thought of this as a treat to myself for being sober for three years. I asked in the rooms and outside the rooms if anyone was interested in going with me, but I had no takers. I was not all comfortable with the idea of going on my own. I wanted someone there for moral support to help keep me on my path of sobriety. My sister suggested I go with her son. It was a fine alternative, and I wanted this so badly that I offered to pay his way, so off we went to Europe. The concert was absolutely terrific. At the end, I leaned over to the woman who sat next to me and said, it was a pleasure clapping with you. My nephew and I traveled all the way from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, just for tonight's concert, and it was worth every penny to see. Really, she said, visibly excited. Just to attend this concert? He has to hear this. Confused, I replied, who has to cure it? She pointed to the stage and told me that she was the musician's manager in Europe and that she wanted to take me backstage to meet him so I could tell him myself. So off we went backstage. I was able to shake his hand and have a picture of us taken by my nephew. It was truly a God moment for me. If the woman hadn't sat next to me, I, if I hadn't practiced listening to others and being more sociable, none of this would have happened. Wow, what a trip. We were set to come back to the United States when our flight was canceled and rescheduled for two days later. With the extra time on my hands, I decided to go to an AA meeting. The only English language AA meeting was clear across town, but I drew courage from my God moment at the concert 
in the taxi ride over. I was giggling quite a bit over what I had happened at the concert and could not believe my good fortune. I couldn't wait to tell the story to my home group back home. The driver dropped me off at the meeting and I went in where I practiced my newfound social skills and immediately felt at home, even though I was thousands of miles away from it. The meeting was about to start when a gentleman entered. He was bundled up to stay warm in the snow and cold. He wore a fedora and scarf. I watched as he took a seat in the far corner. As he shed his outer layers, I noticed that he looked strangely familiar. I knew I had seen him before, but where? That's when I made the stunning realization that I was looking at the man I had crossed the ocean to see and hear play at the concert. After the meeting, he and I talked for a while and even shared a taxi. I told him I had no idea he was in the program and asked how he dealt with playing music around the world with other musicians without drinking. I politely declined beverages by stating that I never drink five days before I perform and that I perform every four days, he said. He kindly shared his email address and we text each other from time to time. But when I play one of his recordings, I don't just hear music, I hear the promises and how it works. I hear God talking to me and confirming his presence in my life. I would like to remind the readers that all of this started with me trying to help someone else. Funny how that works, huh? Robin S. from Menomone Falls, Wisconsin. Menomone. All right, what a coincidence, huh? To be in the same meeting with the fedora and scarf and all the cold weather. Our next story is... Our feet will know what to do. At the age of 27, when I was five years sober, I was diagnosed with a fatal progressive neuromuscular disease with no treatment or cure. I was told I had 10 years to live. At that time, I thought my diagnosis might be a good reason to drink, but then I remembered that when I first joined AA, the old timers told me, we have a program that will keep you from drinking even if you want to. By following the instructions and working with others, going to meetings and praying, I didn't have to drink. Also by living one day at a time. As I, AA taught me, I accepted my condition and thrive. In recent years, with improvements in genetic testing, my doctors have discovered that my disease is much rarer, rarer than first suspected and more importantly, it's not fatal. It, it kept me from making my own fatal mistake. Two years after the agnostic, my daughter had a stroke and passed away. This time, I did not feel like drinking, but I did want out of the pain. Our co-founder, Bill W., said that when all else fails, working with other alcoholics would save the day, and it did. My daughter was buried on Christmas Eve, 1990. Afterwards, I went to an AA Aquaton to find a drunk to work with. I stayed sober that night. In February, my wife of more than 27 years passed away. All through this, I never thought of having a drink. I was promised in the 10th step that my problem would be removed as long as I stay in fit spiritual condition. But I was terrible emotional pain. But it was a terrible, excuse me, emotional pain. When my daughter died, a friend told me, nothing happens to you, it happens for you to help another alcoholic. Again, nothing happens to you. 
It happens for you to help another alcoholic. Instead of asking God to remove my pain, I ask him to help me share it to help others. Bill tells us in our literature that we can convert our troubles to assets if we use them to help others. As I see it, alcoholism is largely a disease of perception. If I were to dwell on the painful events in my life, sobriety would seem incredibly difficult. But I experienced four such painful events out of 36 years of intense happiness in sobriety. So it's good to keep that in perspective. My sponsor assures me that much of our sober lives are spent training our feet so that when difficulties come, as they surely will, our feet will know what to do. On my first day in AA, I was promised that I didn't ever have to feel that way. I felt that day again. I had had some very painful days sober, but I can truly say I never felt as bad as I did the day before I came to AA. David L. from New Smyrna Beach, California. Excuse me, Florida. <laughs> what a story, Florida. Our next story is called Hold Me Safe. A dream, a storm, and a letter to his dad helped him find his way to step two. I first got sober, excuse me, I first got to AA in May of 1983. After a sufficient bottom, I had lost my job and home. I took the invitation to join a friend of mine in Michigan at his house. Each day, my friend would drive east to Brighton and drop me at a center for recovering drunks, then pick me up around dinner time when he got off work. At night, I made meetings with my friend and socialized with great groups of fun-loving AA people. When I returned to Memphis, a fellow AA elected himself as my bodyguard for several months. His name was Tim B. It was evident to him that I had a tendency to wander off. However, I worked with him on the steps and even started a couple of meetings called Sanity and High Anxiety. I became the intergroup rep for both groups, then a GSR, and I was elected the program chairman for a local Bluff City Fellowship. I also sponsored two guys and made the rounds. Around that time, I became vice president of marketing in the investment division of a local bank. We attended a convention in San Francisco and unveiled a new system of giving savings institutions real-time quotes, market news through an international news service. After long days of setup, we were live with our satellite dish on the roof of a hotel in Union Square. Just as we exhale and receive a few pats on the back, the news guys and I went for a meal at a little Italian place on a boulevard not far from the square. The waiter arrived and we both ordered. We'll have the lasagna, I said. The waiter scooped up the menus and dashed off. Then he returned around to me and asked, red or white? Before I could blink, I answered red. Before long, the news guys and I hooked up with the cast of a beer commercial filming across the street. I remember Mickey, Marv, and some blonde. I don't remember much, but Marv was my was from my hometown. Then came the blackout. I finally came in, in my hotel room. The staff must have helped me get in. Nine months later, I finally called my sponsor. We got to talk. I told him I have a resentment. He and I did not meet as usual, but divided into the phone deep. 
but died into the phone deep. Excuse me. Why didn't you tell me I was going to get drunk, I asked. Why didn't you tell me I was going to get drunk, I asked. I did everything right, everything you told me and more. Where did I go wrong? Well, I believe you never develop a relationship with a higher power of your understanding, he replied. Silence. Oh, that, I said. Maybe, he added, or maybe you just need to get honest. Ask a God of your understanding for help. Think you can manage that? Silence. Again. I'll have to, I replied. Is this where you fire me or I fire you? Nah, he replied. Let's get serious and get busy. Read the doctor's opinion and the four words and call me tonight. And we were off. Two months later, we were at step eight. I still didn't know if I had the God thing down, but I was sober and playing it low key. I called my sponsor with my list and he asked me right away, did you get everyone you ever lived with? Uh, yeah, I answered, Mom, brother, sister, Cherry, Josie, Michael. That's it, he asked. Yeah, pretty much, I replied. The others didn't stay long. You have a father, he asked. Yeah, but he's dead, I said. Put him down, said my sponsor. Silence again. What am I supposed to do with the old man? I asked. Write him a letter, he told me. Walk to the grave and read him the letter. I just don't want to drink anymore, but this, I asked. Do it, he said. And call me tomorrow when you are done. I did what he asked. Afterwards, I was exhausted. I stayed in the night and fell into an uncommonly deep sleep. I dreamed about a member from when I was eight at the age I loved to ride my motorcycle just before the rain in the hot summers when it cooled down before the pouring. Four houses away, rounding the corner and two houses up, lightning struck struck a 200-year-old oak, slashing it half. Half of it to the ground with a giant rumble. It knocked me on my side off my bike. Right away, I got back on my bike and headed for home. While running the corner, I heard my father's distinctive whistle. Where we eat the we. We eat we we. <laughs> that can't be him. I thought he's never home this early, but I could see him standing there on our lawn waiting for me. I just left the bike running and jumped to his arms. In that moment, I knew I was going to be all right. I woke up clear and electric from this colorful dream. I remember the day of the storm, the lightning, the fear. I sat there and prayed to bring my dad peace and to give me the strength to stay sober another day. From that night in 1985, I had had a higher power that would not keep me from the storm, but will hold me safe through the storms of life. I have a relationship with my higher power now because I know I can't take a bit of loving care with me wherever I go, and I have not had a drink since December 2nd, 1984. I was from Ronald H. Thank you, Ronald. Write a letter to our dads. That would be good. I always think and converse with my dad when I, my imagination. Huh. Here's another letter called Can't Drink Away Grief. A construction worker shares his journey through terrible loss and how the sobriety he built held. 
My story begins in Brooklyn, New York, when my younger brother and I were raised in a typical Irish-American household. We weren't rich, but we had everything we needed. My father worked in construction and was a heavy drinker. He was a well-liked guy, but once he reached a certain point in his drinking, he became someone else. He could be nasty and violent, and he never ever admitted to bad behavior or apologized for it. My parents split when I was 10 because of dad's drinking. A few years later, I added to my brother's woes by experimenting with beer and different liquors. I added to my mother's woes by experiencing with beer and different liquors. Right away, I sensed that my drinking was different from the way my friends drank. I was much more wild and violent. I almost always blacked out. And my mornings after hangovers were worse than I can explain here. While my friends from the night before would be up and out playing ball, I'd be glued to my bed, desperately sick, yet I'll do it all again that night. I quit school at age 16 and went into construction. I worked on the World Trade Center in New York City in January of 1970. Right about this time, drugs came on the scene with my group and I wanted no part of them. I was terrified of drugs because I knew how crazy I was and how sick I got just drinking. And I thought drugs would make me even worse. So I drank with the guys in the park, and when the pills appeared, I took a walk to the nearest bar. I was still too young to drink, but I had fake ID, and I was working in a man's world. So I was able to carry on a conversation with the old man in the bar. I was very polite and respectful. After I had been hanging out in the bar for a few months, the owner offered me a job working one night a week. Construction work could be intermittent, so I took the job to have some extra income and for the free beer. One Monday, I came to work on my construction job with a terrible hangover, and one of the older guys said, why don't you drink a beer? It's the quickest way to become an alcoholic, but it'll take care of your problem right now. Right now? Was all I was interested in, so I had a beer. The effect was immediate. Before I was halfway through the can, I started to feel great. This was the answer, I thought. Now I could drink on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights or any night. All I had to do now was tough it out until I got the job and then have a beer. The problem with this logic became clear over time. When I was 17, all I needed was one beer to set me straight. By the time I came into the program at 33, I had to drink all day just to feel somewhat normal. Through it all, I managed to get married, have two children, and earn a decent living. Even though my drinking got worse, the length of my binges got longer and longer. Finally, about two months after my daughter was born, I went on a three-day drunk, leaving my wife home with a three-year-old and a newborn. On the third night of my bender, I had what I think of as a spiritual experience. I came to at the bar and noticed that I only had 40 cents left from all the money I had started with. All the bar's other patrons, my friends, were sitting far, far away from me, and I knew why. I stung to high heaven, and I looked like some kind of well man. As I sat looking at myself in the barroom mirror, I realized that I'd been drinking for days and hadn't really enjoyed it. God knew what I had done to my health. 
I had probably lost my job and my poor wife was home with two babies. I felt so guilty. Right at the moment, the phone rang and the bartender handed it to me. It was my wife with an ultimatum. I could come home and start going to AA or I could stay out for good. I don't know what my answer would have been had she called two minutes earlier or two minutes later, but I said I would like to come home and thank her. The very next day, I somehow made it to work expecting to be fired, but they kept me on and I made it through the day without a drink. That night, March 21st, 1986, I went to my first AA meeting and I've been coming ever since. Life changed for the better immediately. I bought a house a year later and I started to move up in my construction union. I was doing great. I couldn't imagine a scenario that would make me pick up a drink. It would have to be something terrible, some horrific event. That's exactly what happened. In May of 2002, my only son was killed in a construction accident on a job that I helped him get. The thought of a drink didn't come right away, but it came. His death didn't make me take a drink, but I was afraid I would. How could I live with this awful pain? But I went to meetings every day. I shared and I shared and people... Some perfect strangers came up to me and told me their stories of losing a child in sobriety and how they got through it. I thank God for AA and the people in it. I was able to come out of the other side of my grief without picking up. Today, when I hear of someone in a similar situation, I tell them a story my AA cousin told me at the time that helped me stay sober. It goes like this. An AA member named Will owned a successful bar and restaurant in the suburbs. He had a beautiful wife, a teenage son, and a young daughter. The son was fooling around with alcohol and drugs, and Will asked my cousin to talk to him. The boy was a nice kid and didn't see the harm in what he was doing, so he mostly ignored what my cousin had to say. A few years went by, and my cousin found himself in that town again, so he stopped at the restaurant to see his old friend, Will. He drove up and saw that the name of the place had changed. Inside, he asked the bartender if Will was around. The bartender said that he had started drinking after his son was found dead in bed. Will lost the business. The new owner gave him a job bartender, but Will soon drank himself out of a job. Not only that, but his wife and daughter left him. The moral of the story and what helped keep me sober through the worst of my own grief is that this man sober in AA for a number of years tried to drink away his grief. He lost everything and still his son was gone. Today, I'm retired from the job I love. I have 35 years sober in this wonderful program. I've been blessed with two healthy grandchildren and life is good. I think I'll keep doing this. Tommy G. from Staten Island, New York. Thank you, Tommy. By the way, I'm at the repair shop.